Welcome back to the Practical Woodsman Podcast. I'm Rhett, the creator and host of the Practical Woodsman. That's right. It's my genius, which has brought this all into existence. What are we going to talk about in this episode? We're going to talk about the very edges of cliffs, ravines, precipices, precipices, try saying that three times fast, abysses, drop-offs, and we're going to talk about the inexplicable tendency by people in general to want to put their bodies there. I'm not talking about daredevils. I'm talking about otherwise normal, sane people. Grannies, husbands, fathers, wives, just normal folk. And we're going to talk about the often disastrous results of this phenomenon. To help us, we're going to be referencing this book right here quite a bit throughout our discussion. It's titled Over the Edge, Death in Grand Canyon by Michael P. Giglieri and Thomas M. Meyer. Also, I'll be contributing my own personal stories and thoughts throughout this discussion. Now, beware, beware, parts of this discussion might not be ideal for a younger audience. So, you parents, you know, you think about what your kids are capable of hearing and not getting nightmares over before listening to this around them. Before we get started, let's do the musical introduction. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. reminders before we get to palavering here about the topic for this episode. My exclusive uh, online community is located on the Locals platform, and you can get there by going to thepracticalwoodsman.locals, L-O-C-A-L-S.com. I uh, host exclusive live streams there on Saturdays as often as I'm able. Also, if you're only subscribed to this podcast, I'd like to uh, recommend that you subscribe to The Practical Woodsman on YouTube and Rumble because I've got different show types other than just this podcast. For example, one other show type that I have is called Exclusives. And uh, just this past week, I think it was exclusive number 113. I talked, I showed off spices and non-perishables and talked about those. Because some topics I want to talk about require a sort of show and tell in other words they don't lend themselves to an audio only show uh, i need to use uh, youtube and rumble for those types of shows exclusives fit into that uh, what else adventures so adventures are just me in my time in the woods while exclusives are exclusive videos are me showing things off that is to say it involves topics that i need to be able to show to the camera rather than just talk about. Have you ever noticed 
how people always want to get right up to the edge of a cliff or a gorge or an abyss. Yep, it's not enough to be 10 foot back. They want to get right up to the edge. They, they want to get as close to the edge as they can. We're living in that Instagram slash selfie age, aren't we? You've heard about the stories on the news. Kids falling off the top of skyscrapers and stuff like that because uh, they want to get the most awesome selfie from the top of a tire or the top of a skyscraper to post to Instagram. And I recently, after somebody, somebody who does this fell to his death, uh, I was looking through the comments to see if people were praising him or not. <laughs> and uh, one comment stood out to me. And I'm quoting. He says, uh, generating likes is a hell of a drug, he says. And I thought, well, that pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? friend of mine here not too long ago who, uh, you know, I love him. He's a good friend of mine. Thought he had more sense than this. Showed me a, a picture, or I, a friend of ours showed me a picture of him. And there he is on a ledge about 300, 400 feet up in the air, getting his picture took, standing right on the edge, maybe a foot or two back. But a foot or two back is no different than if you're standing right on the very tippy-toppy edge. And I, I saw the picture, and, you know, my, I was disappointed in him, to be honest. Why? I thought to myself, why? For a picture? For a picture of you standing right on the edge? You have to ask yourself, Why? It's not because if you don't do that, your view is obstructed. That, that's not the reason. And the vista that you're looking out upon does not look any better or worse from 10 or 15 foot feet back as it does from that last foot on the edge. If the vista looks no different whatsoever... 10 or 15 feet back, as it does right there on the edge. Why do it? What are the reasons compelling people to do this nonsense? In the past, I've told you that I, I always simplify things down to a cost-benefit analysis. I say, what is the potential cost? What is the potential benefit? Well, when we're talking about this subject, the benefit is none unless you consider Instagram likes a benefit. But in the real world, the benefit is none. In other words, you're not seeing anything that you can't see from 10 feet back. And the cost is what? The cost is potentially all you have and ever will have in this world. Now, here's something I can't emphasize enough. Feet back from an, the edge is not enough. Let's say two, three feet back from the edge, that is not enough. And I know you folks uh, out there in Europe and, and other parts of the world, you might not use the feet 
system, measuring system. Uh, I apologize. We're, we're not talking about a foot is about the size of your foot. It's about the, the length of your foot. So imagine the length of your foot, just two or three lengths of your foot back from the edge of a precipice that can kill you. Why do I say that that's not enough? It's not enough because you have to allow for something that I like to call the idiot-proof zone. The idiot-proof zone. If that's a little too harsh for you, you can call it the fail-safe zone. But I think idiot-proof zone really sums it up pretty good. The idiot-proof zone is an imaginary buffer zone that allows you to remain perfectly safe even when your human imperfection rears its ugly head. In other words, even if your boots slip on gravel and you fall down, you're still safe. Even if, as unlikely as it might seem, you black out and you fall over and you roll a distance, even then, the idiot-proof zone will keep you safe. How about if you trip over your own feet? Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to the best of us. Boy, that'd be a bad time, wouldn't it? It would be a bad time for something like that to happen. That's why you need to allow for the idiot-proof zone. What about if the ledge is crumbly or slippery or there's a rock jutting out that you're going to trip over? The idiot-proof zone will allow you to fall, trip, roll, and still remain safe. So the idiot-proof zone is this imaginary zone or region that serves as a fail-safe against any of the ignorance, stupidity, and imperfection that is inherent to being a human being. It takes that reality into consideration, accepts that it's a real factor at all times, and creates conditions so that even when our imperfection reveals itself, we remain safe. Have you read the book, A Walk in the Woods, by Bill Brasson? I read the book. It was awesome. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. They made a movie out of it with uh, Robert Redford, and I can't remember what the other feller's name is. But the movie poster of A Walk in the Woods, look, at her, look it up if, if uh, you get the hankering as we're having this discussion. The movie poster itself shows a famous uh, outcrop on the Appalachian Trail. And Robert Redford, Robert Redford, Redford's character on the movie poster is standing on the very edge of that outcrop. Not only is he standing right on the very edge, he's standing right on the edge with his back to the abyss. And he's standing there having a conversation with the other guy, Nick Nolte. Nick Nolte is the other guy. So his character is standing right on the very right on the very edge of that famous outcrop on the Appalachian Trail, turned with his back to 
certain death talking to Nick Nolte on the movie poster and everybody says well that's uh, harmless enough isn't it not really not really when you realize that it reveals the attitude that almost everybody has who's going to go out and hike the Appalachian Trail that it's normal it's uh, that's what people do they get right up to the edge take their pictures that's what I'm going to do when I get out on the trail I'm going to do that people think to themselves because that's what people do a real life experience really burned a burned into my memory was a friend of our family I'm not going to tell you his name just because of his privacy but he was dating a woman this is back in the 90s and uh, he was a single father his little girl at the time was was pretty young still um, but he, her father this friend of our family was had been dating this woman and um, boy it was looking looking real positive wedding bells were in the air it, they went out on a on a hike a hike that they had done a million times out into this wilderness area that's not too far from here and as they were hiking they heard a waterfall through through the trees and they said let's let's go get a better closer look at that waterfall and so they did they cut off through the the woods the forest there they come up to a cliff where they could see the waterfall and they weren't standing too awful close i mean uh, they weren't right on the lip of this cliff they were standing back a ways but tragically what happened was on this outcrop was a fine gravel on top of the rock and she standing on there uh, the the gravel rolled underneath her boots she fell she rolled slid over the edge before any of them could do anything and she fell something like 50 feet and uh, landed on her head and broke her neck and uh, it was what a tragedy it was it was very sad very sad and tragic now what were they doing anything necessarily wrong not really it's just that they stepped beyond the idiot proof zone didn't they and then human imperfection and conditions beyond their control and beyond even their ability to foresee happened and one of them at least paid the ultimate price for it i can't tell you how sad that was that period of time around here because uh, he's such a good guy and all of us who know him were so excited about his little girl getting to potentially have a, a mother figure and uh, so that's all the details I want to go into that but there's a real life story uh, of ex an experience that uh, has affected me directly that involves getting too close to the edge unnecessarily being completely reasonable about the thing to have enjoyed that waterfall just as much they could have simply walked around at a different angle not necessarily get 
so close to the edge, but walk around at a different angle so that they could see the waterfall better and maybe even see the precipice there that they were going to be standing on. And uh, that might have even been more beautiful than than just standing right on the, the edge there where you have no room for error. This compulsion by people to want to get right up to the edge of things, to get right up to the edge unnecessarily, emphasis on unnecessarily. It's unnecessary. What is the draw? It's not necessary, but there's a draw anyway. And I'll tell you what it reminds me of. If you're ever out in the backcountry in the summertime when there's a lot of insects, you get a your campfire going. And as you're sitting there enjoying your fire, pay attention to the skeeters, the mosquitoes, and the other insects. What will you see? You'll see that they can't help themselves. They see your fire, and they fly right into it to their deaths. In fact, there's a story about Johnny Appleseed. How many of you know the story of Johnny Appleseed? Uh, He was so sensitive uh, to animal life that uh, once he was sitting around a fire and he noticed this, that the skeeters were flying like kamikaze pilots into his fire and, and dying. And he put out his fire, so the story goes, and swore that he would not have a fire if uh, it was going to kill the natural life of the forest. Uh, Personally, (laughs) I think we can kill millions of them, and there will still be enough left over to do whatever it is they do and contribute to things. Now, I'll tell you, I'm not exaggerating when I say that this is a serious pet, pet peeve of mine. When I see pictures on social media or it, even friends of mine show me pictures of them out in the natural world, and they've got to have that picture of them standing right on the edge, dangerously close to the edge of some kind of cliff or precipice or abyss or something like that. Uh, I'll tell you, my, my estimation of such people drops dramatically when I see that. So, because, I'll tell you, it it makes me think that they're no smarter than those mosquitoes. They're no smarter than those mosquitoes that fly headfirst right into my campfire. They have not stopped to think, why? Why do I feel the need to do this? They just do it. And so, they're really kind of like not even in control of themselves, are they? They're, they're not even steering their own bus. And uh, so, yeah, my opinion of such people really, it really takes a hit when I see those sorts of things. Consider that you ever join our group, you know. You can share whatever pictures and stuff you want to share on our group. You know, I picked the platform that I did because of free speech interests. And so I I won't stop you from sharing pictures like that. I'm just warning you, if you do share pictures of yourself like that, standing right on the edge of a cliff, and I don't see that you've made allowance for the the idiot-proof zone, that you haven't factored in the idiot-proof zone, and that you're respecting that, I'll really question your, 
your intelligence. Here's a story that uh, is about a year old. Italian man poses for photo moments before falling 650 feet to his death. This is uh, from the New York Post, published August 22, 2022, and updated on August 23, 2022. An Italian man posed for a smiling, loved-up photo with his girlfriend. Just moments before, you guessed it, he plunged up to 650 feet to his death while trying to grab a dropped cell phone, according to reports. Andrea Massetto, 30, snapped the shot Saturday with live-in lover Sarah Brigante while climbing a rock in his hometown. At some point, one of them lost a phone, and Macedo toppled to his death from a precipice while trying to get it. Police told Corriere del Veneto, which put the fall at around 650 feet. Rescue crews reached him with a chopper and pronounced him dead at the scene. Before then, Macedo had updated his nearly 2,500 Instagram followers with regular posts on his hike with Brigante, who later, and I would say tastelessly, shared their smile and selfie taken moments before her loved one's death. Our cursed last photo together, she wrote alongside a snap from their climb-up alternato. You will always be with me, my little bear, she wrote tenderly, while posing with her body all exposed and in a sexy, flirty pose. I'd say, well, I won't say. Let me let me just say that it, it, I do not get the feeling that she was so tore up about this. It, this is just my opinion, but it is my opinion that she thinks she just looks good in that picture and probably lives on attention, which is why she posted this picture. Macedo himself had regular, regularly posted shirtless photos to Instagram where uh, blah, blah, blah. Initial reports said that he was trying to get his girlfriend's phone, but police later told local media that it was his own phone that fell. There's pictures of them, you know, half naked, uh, kissing and smooching all over the place, her butt hanging out of her bikini there. Uh, Yeah. What a senseless, stupid thing. What a senseless, stupid thing. Over the edge, death in Grand Canyon. Now, I wanted to tell you my personal experience with this book. I first bought this book back in, uh, oh, would have been around 2008 or nine. I had, uh, my wife at the time and I had plans. We were going to go visit Grand Canyon in uh, January of that year. And we were going to, we had plans to backpack down to the bottom of Grand Canyon, spend a couple nights down there at the bottom, backpack out. And that's what we did. In preparation for that trip, I wanted to familiarize myself with Grand Canyon and the inherent dangers to Grand Canyon. So I bought this book, uh, Over the Edge, Death in Grand Canyon by Michael Gilieri and Thomas M. Myers. It's uh, one of the most fascinating books you can possibly read 
on the topic of Grand Canyon. And it gives uh, an account of every fatality in Grand Canyon since before, since it was a park, before it was a park, and as, while it's been a park. So I would say it's probably been updated and revised even since this edition of the book. So truly, when I read the book, my interest in it was not just uh, the gruesome nature of people dying and, you know, kind of this this dark interest in human tragedy. It was really in the interest of me understanding the inherent dangers of Grand Canyon and therefore being able to protect myself against those dangers and not make the same mistakes that so many other people have made. And I found it very helpful. By the time my trip come and uh, I started hiking down into the canyon, I felt like I was very well equipped to understand the nature of the canyon and to avoid the dangers that other people have succumbed to. I was I felt like I was able to create for myself that idiot-proof zone, as I like to call it. The book says this, The sheer immensity of Grand Canyon's cliffs has consistently failed to compute in the minds of many human visitors. Well, we're going to be I'm going to be sharing a lot of um, falls from the uh, the rim. So each when you're at the top of the canyon on each side they call that the rim. And then of course there are accidents that have happened in the canyon. There have happened there have been accidents that have happened that uh, did not involve falls from the the rims. So I I still no matter what we talk about today, I highly recommend you you get this book because I I can just barely barely scratch the surface of the uh, incredible stories in this book. But we're going to be focusing on falls particularly from the the rim, the upper edge of the canyon. And this quote here from the book, the sheer immensity of Grand Canyon's cliffs has consistently failed to compute in the minds of many human visitors. Uh, that don't just apply to Grand Canyon. <laughs> does not Does that not apply to any any cliff, any vista, any abyss, any ledge that you see people visiting anywhere in the world, it, not just in Grand Canyon, would you say it's a stretch to say that all cliffs, the immensity of all cliffs, the dangers of all cliffs, fail to compute in the minds of many human visitors? Well, November 28, 1992... Greg Austin Gingrich, age 38, visited the South Rim of Grand Canyon from Dallas, Texas with his family. Playing around to tease his daughter, Gingrich jumped atop the rock wall separating terra firma from the abyss. Now, I should explain to you that when you go to Grand Canyon and you're staying at the lodges, Grand Canyon is right out the back window. And there are walkways and stuff along the rim. And they've got a wall, a wall that probably comes up to about a little bit over a typical adult knee. So it's not huge. It's just a small barrier that's meant to, to keep you on one side of it, but allow you to see the glory and the, the grandeur of uh, the canyon so it doesn't block the views of anything. 
But like I say, it only comes up to about the a little bit over a person's knee. You could hop up on top of it real easy, and people do. But again, you got to ask yourself why. Why? It's not obstructing the view of anything. You can see Grand Canyon just as well on the safe side of that little wall as you can on the other side of that little wall. So this guy, Greg Austin Gingrich, age 38, jumped on top of that, that rock wall. He paused precariously and dramatically atop that wall. Then he turned so that Grand Canyon was to his back, if you can imagine, and so the lodge would be in front of him, the walkways would be in front of him, and all that. He turned his back to Grand Canyon, to the abyss, looked at his daughter, and he windmilled his arms comically and said, Help, I'm falling. Then he jumped off backwards toward the canyon. So another thing I think I should describe to you about this wall is that on the other side of the wall, there, there's a ledge. So before the drop-off, you if on the other side of the wall, so on the, the side that's trying to keep you from uh, approaching the edge, on the other side of that wall, there is a space, a, a ledge, a certain amount of ground there before it drops off. So he jumped off backwards toward the canyon, intending to land on that little patch of earth uh, right there along the edge. And his daughter said something like, Oh, Dad. And she continued walking. She knew he was clowning around. And she expected her father to pop up out of nowhere any second. He never did. He had fallen 400 feet to his death. 400 feet. The canyon side of the wall was not an immediate drop-off, the book goes on to say, but instead a ledge and then a slope that one could walk on if one were very careful. Scuff signs on the slope revealed that when Greg Gingrich had dropped off the wall backwards while facing his daughter, he had tried to land on that three to four foot wide ledge below the base of the wall and scuff marks suggested he had immediately lost his foot on contact there and had somersaulted backwards and out of control down that ledge before launching off the 400-foot cliff to his death. One ranger at uh, Grand Canyon made this comment about the general cause of most accidents in Grand Canyon. He said, The one common thread from these incidents has been the complete lack of regard for personal safety. That's what I think when I see these pictures of people standing on the edges of things unnecessarily. Why? Why? First of all, the person is not that smart, are they? You got to question their intelligence. They're, they're not driving their bus. They, they are like those stupid mosquitoes that just fly brainlessly into a campfire. Complete lack of regard for personal safety. In 1908, a team of men was trying to pry up a, a tree. Now, this, this is not because of stupidity, but this is an amazing story none, nonetheless. In 1908, a 
team of men were working there at Grand Canyon, and they were trying to clear trees for the lodges and for the park so that visitors could see the vastness of Grand Canyon without obstruction. And so they were trying to pry up a tree of a eight inches diameter on the edge of the south rim. This problem tree suddenly jerked loose, and the tree's heavy roots caught one of the men working. His name was D. Johnson. And when the tree flipped over and the roots flew up, caught those roots caught him right in the back. And what this did was it literally catapulted Johnson off the rim and out into open space. Johnson skydived headfirst into the atmosphere below. He plummeted between two narrow projecting ledges of jagged limestone that could have crushed his skull like an eggshell. Then, 100 feet below the rim, Johnson slammed into a large clump of thick brush on a tiny ledge only three feet wide. Still conscious and aware that the man-made avalanche of stone still raining down might kill him anyway, Johnson dragged himself up underneath a shallow ledge. After the final stone rattled past him and whistled into infinity, Johnson risked a glimpse off this tiny ledge to the world below. The world dropped away vertically for almost 1,000 feet. That small patch of brush had saved his life. D. Johnson's survival was so infinitesimally improbable, the book says, that he should have limped off to buy a few lottery tickets before the clock struck midnight and ended what had to have been the luckiest day in anybody's life. The book talks about something called death by camera. Death by camera. We see a lot of that in today's world, don't we? In this Instagram world. But this book specifically refers to it as death by camera. And it says the most cliche activities that many of us assume are the most common causes of stupid falls are posing for a photo on the edge and taking one step back too many or else taking a photo of the canyon from the edge of either rim, either the north rim or the south rim, and falling off the rim while gazing absentmindedly through the viewfinder. These cliches match reality. Death by camera. When I read this, I thought, surely, surely nobody is that stupid. Now, what we're talking about here is you remember that wall I'm telling you about. So you were at the the lodge at Grand Canyon, and there's that small wall that goes around, follows snakes along that walkway right out there by the edge of Grand Canyon. And I had read of people getting up on top of that wall and turning around to take a picture of guess what? Guess what they're taking a picture of? So they're standing up on top of that wall. They've got one of the great wonders of the world right there spread out before them. You think they're taking a picture of Grand Canyon? No. They want a picture of their the lodge that they're staying in. So they, while they're standing on top of this wall, they turn around to take a picture of the lodge 
that they're staying in. So now Grand Canyon is at their back. And what they realize is that I want more of the lodge in, in the viewfinder. I want more of the lodge in this picture. Well, what do you do when you want something, you want to allow more of something into a picture? Well, on phones nowadays, on cameras, you might be able to just adjust it with your fingers. But, you know, the old way of doing that is you just take a few steps back. And that's what they do while standing on top of this wall. By failing to make an allowance for the zone of stupidity, their natural human inclination kicks in and they die. Not because they want a picture of the greatest, one of the greatest wonders on all the earth, but because they want a picture of the, the lodge they're staying in. And so they back up to get more of it in the picture. They fall off that wall and they do cartwheels again, just like that guy we were talking about earlier. And they go right over the side and fall hundreds or even thousands of feet to their death. So I had read this and I thought, man, there's no way. There's no way people could be possibly be that stupid. When I was there staying in that lodge, I walked out to that wall that we're talking about. We got there late in the evening and the sun was going down. I just wanted to get a quick look at the canyon. We were planning to head down into it the very next day. So, you know, I was eager to get a look at it. And there were all these tourists there. And there was a girl, an Asian girl, who I imagine was from China. Uh, I kid you not, she jumped up on top of that wall with her camera, turned her back to the abyss to get pictures of the lodge she was staying in. She did it right there in front of me, right there in front of me. And I said, Miss, I knew she couldn't understand me. I said, Miss, please get down, get down from there. And she understood what I was saying, and she did get down. But, my goodness, can you imagine how on edge I was seeing her do that after I read the, this book and heard about these, or, you know, read about these true life experiences of these tragedies? I wasn't just going to stand there and not say anything to her when this she did this. I'm not kidding you, three feet away from me. And I, nope, I wasn't having it. The book says this sort of mishap is now so cliche, it has its own punchline. Take just one more step back. March 22, 1925, barely six years after Grand Canyon had become a national park, Lewis W. Thompson stood on the edge of the South Rim to pose for a scenic photo, proving that he had actually been there. <laughs> he wasn't going to take the risk that nobody would take his word for it. He had to have a picture. Thompson's position, however, proved less than ideal for a perfectly composed photo, so he took one more step into a crack. Thompson tripped, lost his balance, tottered, then fell off the rim. He plunged hundreds of feet to his death. Another tragic camera killing involved Yuri Nagata, age 21, on March 12, 1989, at the West Rim's second Trailview Overlook. Upon arrival, the tour group leader warned everyone, including Nagata, to be careful near the rim. He reminded them pointedly about a tourist named Gasella Elixman, who only three days earlier 
had sat on the rim right there with her husband to watch a sunset. Upon standing, she had lost her equilibrium, then fallen off to plunge to her death. So no, Yuri Nagata and his group, they get there, and the tour group leader tells them about this story, says, take every precaution. A few minutes after being warned about Elixman's hideous fate, Nagata of Japan stepped around the guardrail and sat on a lower ledge. As she dangled her feet above infinity, a friend from her group asked Nagata to stand and pose for a photo. When Nagata tried to stand, she, as Elixman had done, lost her balance too. She toppled 30 feet onto a slope. Next, she rolled for a second, building speed, and finally, she plummeted, screaming another 360 feet. Another senseless fall occurred on September 8, 1993. James Merriman, age 51, was a daredevil, transient, who hung out a lot on a particular part of this overlook to gather good luck coins tossed onto a small jutting ledge by Taurus. So you know how it is. Like a wishing well, you go to some of these places and people toss coins over the side of the ledge and then the coins land at a ledge down further below. They make their wishes and those sorts of things. Says only a week earlier, Merriman had gotten himself so trapped on an exposed ledge that he had to be rescued by rangers from this ledge that contained these coins. Apparently, this episode created little lasting value as a deterrent. On September 8, Merriman again climbed beyond and below the safety rail to collect good luck coins on ledges. When Merriman saw tourists above watching him in horror, he hammed it up by jumping from rock to rock. Wee! Look at me! Inviting them to take an action photo of him. Watch me, he bragged. Merriman leapt for a rock, missed his footing, fell to his death. I think we all knew how that was going to end. Only two months later on... November 9th, 1993, Timothy J. Rowe, age 24, botched his action photo, too. While visiting the second Trailview Overlook on the West Rim, Rowe jumped from rock to rock to create dramatic action for the ideal photo. Missed his footing, plunged to his death. Another posing tragedy occurred on August 19th, 1999, on the South Rim, Gabrielle Comerford, age 25, asked nearby tourists if they would use his camera to take his photo. This is really a, an astonishing story, this one. These bystanders agreed. Comerford explained that he wanted to pose out on a precipice where the shot would be dramatic. The bystanders nodded in understanding. Comerford then crossed the guardrail climbed over a retaining wall, walked out to his chosen, highly exposed position. Just before arriving at his chosen spot, a rock crumbled under his foot. Comer Forge slipped off the level Kaibob limestone and tumbled down a rubble-strewn, bush-clumped talus chute for more than 100 feet. What do you think the guy with the camera 
did. Did he drop the camera and, oh my gosh, and start calling for help? Nope. The bystander with Comer Ford's camera continued to photograph him during his battling tumble. The bystander snapped the final photo as Comer Ford slid to the end of the bedrock chute and as he is peering over the edge of the cliff in sheer horror into vertical air, the guy with the camera captures it. From here, Comer Ford fell 875 feet to his death. Let's take a break from this book, Over the Edge of Death in Grand Canyon. Let's talk about something a little more recent. This is from CBS News, March 29, 2019. Grand Canyon tourist falls 1,000 feet to his death while taking photos. The article says two people have died at the Grand Canyon in separate incidents this week. By the way, journalists don't know nothing. They might be able to report the the facts of just the, the bare facts of a thing. This happened, this happened. But whenever they stray from that, they don't know nothing. Uh, I'll give you an example. Grand Canyon is not the Grand Canyon. It's just Grand Canyon. The author of this book explains that. So whenever you hear people saying the Grand Canyon this and the Grand Canyon that, you know that they don't know what they're talking about. It's just Grand Canyon. So <clears throat> CBS News gets it wrong. Uh, officials said in the latest incident, a man stumbled over the edge of the rim while trying to take pictures. A helicopter lifted the body of Hong Kong man, the Hong Kong man from 1,000 feet below the rim of the Eagle Point Observation Area Thursday afternoon at Grand Canyon West. The man who was in his 50s was taking photos when he stumbled and fell. See, that's human. You, you don't plan to fall, do you? But you just do sometimes. That's why you practice knife safety, right? Hopefully, you practice knife safety. And what knife safety does is it accounts for the probability that without you meaning to, you're probably going to slip or your hand's going to do something you don't want or lots of things will happen. You'll end up cutting yourself. So knife safety takes into consideration the zone of stupidity. It says, instead of holding my knife like this, where an accident can occur, I'll hold my knife like this so that when an accident occurs, the knife doesn't go into me. But this man did not allow for the zone of stupidity. So when he stumbled and fell, he died. See, I would prefer that when I stumble and fall, I don't die. I get up and I go, whew, glad I, glad I factored in the zone of stupidity. Now I can still look at this beautiful vista from 15 feet back. Signs at Eagle Point warn tourists all over the place not to get too close to the edge. Meanwhile, authorities at Grand Canyon National Park, about 95 miles east, were working to identify a person believed to be a foreign national. A body was found Tuesday evening in a wooded area south of Grand Canyon Village, away from the rim, the park said. Last fall, so this would have been in 2018, a travel blogging couple fell 800 feet to their deaths at Yosemite National Park. A photographer spotted them moments earlier. Where? 
right at the edge of the cliff. A study found in a seven-year period, 259 people worldwide died while taking selfies. Back to Over the Edge, Death in Grand Canyon, the book that we've been considering here. It says on July 7, 1978, Bobby K. Kendrick, age 45, shuffled along the edge of a truly dizzying precipice in search of a perfect vantage point for a photo. She lost her foot and fell over the edge 600 feet. You don't walk away from that. Less than a year later, on April 8, 1979, Roger Sidnor, age 30, walked out on the rim trail near the visitor center for a dramatic dawn photo. Sidnor lost his foot on the rim, fell 250 feet, died. Soon afterward, on April 27, 1981, and in nearly the same place, Londoner, John Eric Hastrick, age 20. Boy, he traveled a long way to kill himself on accident. John Eric Hastrick from London, age 20, walking backwards while looking back toward the Bright Angel Lodge in an attempt to get an ideal photo of it, climbed over the rock guard wall, this wall that I've been to that I've described to you. He continued the few feet to the rim. Again, he wanted a shot of the lodge, not of the canyon itself. Astoundingly, while holding his camera to his face, Hastrick continued backing up toward the canyon. He soon lost his footing, lost terra firma, and fell 330 feet to his death. Yet another tragic attempt to get the perfect photo happened on September 7, 1993. Lori Newcomb, age 31, walked far out on the edge of a ledge to take a photo. The ledge itself crumbled under her weight. She slipped and fell 20 feet, rolled and slid down a terrace, then plunged 60 feet further to her death. On November 23, 2001, Fern Buchart Shelton, aged 72, asked her husband to take a photo on the North Rim. As she walked to the overlook to pose, she slipped and fell off 675 feet. On June 7, 1958, Donald L. Mark, age 43, took a break from his job as a Grand Canyon motel clerk, climbed over the guard wall. He descended partway down the cliff as a solo recreational climber. An audience gathered up above to watch his climbing technique and to marvel at his nerve. Mark next appeared to be putting on an act by playfully jumping from rock to rock. Wow, that sounds familiar. I wonder how this turns out. He continually looked up at the crowd still gathering to watch. On Mark's next climbing move, he lost his grip and his balance. He fell over backwards into the abyss, plunging 300 feet. November 28, 1992, Greg Austin Gingrich we already talked about him, age 38, was doing the same thing, missed his landing while hopping around on the rocks, fell 400 feet. On September 5th, 1993, Andreas Zimmerman, age 24, jumped from one ledge to another. Why? The book says he did it apparently just for the heck of it. Just for the heck of it. Jumped from one ledge to another. 
he slipped and fell to his death. Two months later, on November 16, 1993, James Highland, age 21, decided to walk atop the frosty guard wall, this wall we keep coming back to, that is built to separate people from the abyss. He too slipped and fell to his death. The book says how so many people could manage to mismanage their footing on such relatively easy terrain, offering a dizzying vista that screams, watch out, don't fall, almost defies belief. Richard Pena, this is tragic, and his family visited the West Rim to take in the view one January day in 1985. Snow had fallen days earlier, and the exact position or edge of the rim itself was hidden under a few inches of fluffy white snow. For reasons only known to Pena, he climbed over the National Park Service safety railing to get a couple of feet closer to the view. Think this is the thing I'm saying should make you say, why? What is a couple more feet going to do what am I going to see in a couple more feet that I can't see from back here? Can I not stay here and appreciate what I'm looking at? Why do I have to be like that brainless mosquito and be drawn to do something so pointless? His young son warned him, Hey, Dad, the sign says you're not supposed to go past the rail. Pena turned to him and allegedly said, you got to take some chances in life. Then, stepping on snow which had nothing underneath it but a few hundred feet of air, Pena vanished from view and plummeted into the frozen abyss. Ranger Rod Lawson was hiking up the Bright Angel Trail at this instant and heard Pena scream. Lawson looked up just in time to watch Pena plunge more than 300 feet to his death. Pena's nonchalance in the face of such a strong possibility of violent death, was not unique. At least seven other victims, six of them women, revealed much the same attitude of nonchalance. All six had either sat right on the edge, at the brink of infinity, or had approached it on foot. September 14, 1949, Minnie Edith Kindig, aged 63, walked to the rim. The view was apparently so shocking to her that she fainted and collapsed to her knees. She then toppled off the rim, falling 500 feet to her death. April 12, 1971, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Hazelhurst, age 21, was sitting on the edge of the rim with her sisters. When she tried to get to her feet, she slipped and fell about 350 feet and died. October 8, 1981, Maria C. Alfaro, age 23, walked to the edge to sit on the rim and watch the sunset. See, that's another thing that drives me absolutely bat uh, papui crazy. People got to get their pictures with them sitting right on the edge, their legs hanging over the edge. Why? Why? You can't see the same things sitting 10 feet back? There's something, there's some defect in you making you say that this is a good idea. I want to do this. 
pointlessly. She slipped and fell 400 feet and died. March 9, 1989, Gacella Elixman, age 34, sat then tried to stand on the edge. She became dizzy and fell off, plunging 500 feet to her death. Yuri Nagata, we talked about her, she became disoriented, lost her balance, and when she tried to stand for a photo, she plunged to her death. The book says sometimes the actual recovery of these people has degraded into merely scooping up bits and pieces because the victim explodes like a watermelon on impact. What a way to go. What a way to go. And, uh, boy, you think about the these rescue workers, these rangers and stuff that got to deal with this sort of thing. It probably is not pleasant for them. Six other victims, five of them males, fell at night while camping or walking alone. Now, this is another interesting thing. You'll be interested to hear what the culprit <laughs> for many of these fatalities may have been. Uh, may have been the male urge to urinate off high places combined with dizziness. Trying to break some record, right? Look at how far I got my pee stream to go. Other male victims have apparently fallen to their deaths from heights within Grand Canyon or toppled forward into the Colorado River that's down at the bottom, only to drown while urinating. The book says, following one's urine into oblivion makes for a poor epitaph. <laughs> you got to agree with that. It's, it's, it's not funny, but, I mean, it's, it's part of real life. Five people have died by making really stupid decisions involving cars. The most tragic, I think, that the, the book mentions is this one involving James Lloyd Qualls, age five, and Harold Frank Qualls, 15 months old. Two innocent babies visiting with their family from Brownsville, Texas. On June 8, 1958, the two boys' father had parked the family sedan with both boys in it, at a lookout point on the rim above the Little Colorado River. The father, Frank Qualls, age 28 at the time, had left the transmission in gear, but in the highest gear of overdrive, which offered the least resistance to the vehicle rolling. Qualls had also failed to set the parking brake. While the adults were 200 feet away admiring the view, they sent another relative, Kenneth Dahl, age 10, back to the car to fetch a camera in the glove compartment. Dahl said that the car started rolling as he opened the door. Dahl jumped aside. After rolling only 25 feet, this car with those two innocent babies in it plunged over the rim of Grand Canyon, 100 feet into the gorge, ricocheting off of rocks, and then exploding into flames. But what are truly the big culprits leading to such hideous accidents that we've talked about in this episode? The book says that probably more than half of the 59 victims of fatal falls from the rim as of 2016, so, you know, there's got to be even more now, deliberately crossed the guardrails or walls to frolic, walk, stand on, or sit on the very edge. 
Some others merely detoured off the safe trail to walk on the unsafe, loose gravel sloping toward the canyon. Others yet had scampered even further out, literally onto outcroppings extending from the rim itself to stand on one or to hop from one to the other. Add to this mix snow and ice. At least five and as many as seven victims died due to slipping on ice and snow on the rim often after passing or walking atop the guardrail or that wall I keep telling you about. In short, before falling over the edge, the vast majority of victims behave in an intentionally reckless manner. What are you doing when you want a picture of yourself standing two feet away from certain death on the edge of a cliff? What are you doing? You're behaving in an intentionally reckless manner. And I don't want to see anybody get hurt. Having said that, should it be any surprise when somebody does suffer a consequence, a permanent, irreversible consequence from behaving in an, inten- in, in an intentionally reckless manner? The book says this. The lesson, what is the lesson? Be really careful near the edge of falls, cliffs, and canyons. Now, I think it says specifically uh, be really careful near the edge of the canyon. That is to say, Grand Canyon. But doesn't it apply to everything? Doesn't it apply to falls, cliffs, canyons of any sort? The only genuine safety and protection resides in our own personal common sense, and careful behavior. Common sense. It doesn't sound so common, does it? The book says common sense, but it doesn't sound common. I would say resist your common sense. Apply some additional thinking. Go beyond common sense. But the book says common sense about personal safety cannot be legislated or ensured by paving paths, warning signs, or guardrails. It must reside in the mind of each individual. So, folks, that's our show. Coming up on the end of the year, I hope a lot of people are going to be traveling, that sort of thing. I hope you guys will stay safe, enjoy yourselves in a safe way, and uh, I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. I hope you enjoyed this one. You guys take care.